Thanks for listening to the Pioneer Valley Church podcast. Our hope is that what you hear encourages your faith in the way of Jesus and inspires you to participate in what God is up to in the world. God bless. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're starting a uh, series here called For All. And the idea of this series came about for several different reasons, but but one of them is that for about two months now, Rachel and I have been having a, a meeting, a conversation with the founding members of the Pioneer Valley Church. We call them the seasoned members. <laughs> And uh, we've been asking open-ended questions of them, of, of what, what, as we gather together and you see what God's putting on display and what God's Spirit's doing among us, uh, what gives you hope? And where do you see God moving in the future? And also, what gives you pause and concern and time of reflection for yourself? And the conversation has been so inspiring to be a part of. Um, on display for Rachel and I, as we go and, and gather with this group, Uh, is maturity in Christ and perseverance and faith and a little bit of disorientation at times. Uh, You see, many of them are now in the reality of being the older generation in a community that they entered in in their 20s or 30s. Um, So that can be a little, you know, disorienting. And they're trying to find their place in that as the church continues to get younger. Um, as more people who are in their teens and 20s and early 30s are getting baptized and pledging their their faith and allegiance to Jesus. And and they also have found themselves in that continuing work of builders and pioneers of kind of still doing about 70% of the volunteer work that runs the church, right? Uh, And we wrestled with some of the practical concerns about this growing kind of generation gap and how do we help, you know, bond that, bring that together. Uh, But more importantly, with the experience of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in a blended community of faith? Uh, These founders in their early years uh, used their faith and in faith spent time sacrificing and building and devoting to themselves to the church that we all now get to enjoy, right? And the money that they've given and the small groups that they've led and the amount of meals that they've hosted and the ways that they've shared and walked with each other and the relationships that they fostered and the time in service, it's really unknowable. We couldn't even calculate how much has gone in. And they're so inspired. Let me just tell you, on behalf of that conversation, they're so inspired by the things that God is doing and the ways that you see young people making decisions to get baptized and to step up and to serve and to take their place in the church. And yet they notice at the same time, there's not quite the same level of sacrifice that's represented in the same way as when they were first Christians. And that makes sense because now many of us are just partaking in something that's already been built by them. 
Uh, it's not a judgment. It's more of a curiosity from that, that group. And they're asking why and how do we help and how do we inspire and how do we teach and help them learn to devote themselves in some of the same ways that we uh, did. One brother said to me, I'm not sure where I fit in in the church now. I'm an empty nester. I don't, lead, I don't need to lead a small group and I make more money than ever, but I don't want to just be a donor. Another brother who's kind of of the same era was expressing some of the same feelings he had just around change in a conversation we had this week. And he's having kind of a difficult time with some of the new approaches to things or new styles of worship or teaching or whatever. And, but he's able to recognize it's not that these things are wrong. It's just that it feels uncomfortable to embrace new things because we've been doing things one way for a long time. And that can feel disorienting. Uh, another older member came to me and said, I love what's happening with the younger generation. I love the songs. I love the sneakers. I love, you know, I love the enthusiasm. So some of it's a bit of just perception, right? And ex personal experience. But it shouldn't be missed that we are a multi-aged ministry. Our oldest member is 90. Louis was here today. We, we, we're grateful to see him again at church. And our youngest member, Tobiah, uh, who was born just, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so we, we have here in this church, uh, somewhere between the 1930s and 1923, uh, generational experiences and expectations and norms. So you can imagine there's some, some difficulty or tension or nuance in that, right? We are a diverse church. We also represent multi-nations. We have Latin America and African countries and European and Asian and North American. And, uh, we have to wrestle with something that some, most of the early Christians had to wrestle with. How do you value and represent a vast cultural difference in a blended community? Uh, a quick note on culture. Culture is always plural, uh, and it's overlapping. And here's what I mean by that. Whatever your race or ethnicity, uh, you're, you're represented not by a single culture, but by multicultures. Your economics, your gender, your geography, your nationality, your education, your hobbies, your generation, your age, all influence the cultures that make you are all part of the cultures that make you. And so culture is always plural. It's always overlapping. For instance, Christian culture on some level shares some, some very, you know, shares similarities across all different denominations and racial divides of the church. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way, second generation Americans, uh, whatever, no matter what country they come from, they share some common cultural experiences. Does that make sense? And so, you know, this is one of the things that good comedians understand because they know how to draw the line between all the different cultures and help people connect in that way. But, but culture is plural. Uh, and we're going to talk about that because uh, we have a multi multicultural uh, congregation, but it finds itself also in a particular culture. Right? And one of the stream of Christianity that we find ourselves in, our history of leadership demographic, demographically, our membership makeup, it has shaped our liturgical practices, our songs, our norms, our habits, obviously in a way that works for most of us, right? Like you're still here. Uh, many of us have been part of this community for 20 or 30 years. However, as we grow and as we develop, our representation of all the different cultures and practices should also grow as best we can, with as much discernment as we can, with respect and honor 
and recognition and representation for all those things. As we sang Spanish songs today, it's one of those ways we're trying to go, how do we represent more of the congregation that is who we are? And it's complicated work. Um, It takes humility. It takes discernment. It, It takes grace. And it takes time. But it's important work. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks as well. After the ascension of Jesus to the Father, here in Acts chapter 2, the disciples had learned how to follow him through the the teachings he had on Torah and through his example and through apprenticing him. And they were given this new covenant uh, in God, in the blood of Jesus, in the resurrection and the spirit. And they were at this beginning of what is like a new exodus, if you know what Luke is doing. It's kind of a new exodus of him calling out God's people God's promised people into God's promised inheritance. Mm -hmm. And he says this, that the spirit is being poured out on all people. Men and women are prophesying. Young and old men are being filled filled with calling. He says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What no one imagined in Acts chapter 2 was that by Acts 28, which, by the way, is just about the length of a generation or so, right? The church would find itself in a multinational strata with Jews involved and Samaritans and Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews and the scandal of most of the New Testament, Gentiles, Greeks and Romans and more. Women would come to play a role in the church that no one was expecting. Young and old, slave and free, all types, all ages, all stations of life, single and married and widowed would be participating in this new thing called the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And this prophecy of Joel, which Peter, the apostle in Acts 2, is preaching from would be fulfilled. And the remarkable thing is that just as Peter opens up his message in Acts 2 with this promise of a prophecy, he closes his message in Acts 2 with a beautiful guarantee regarding what God is up to. Take a look here in verse 38. He says, Peter, it says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that which is being poured out. This promise, the promise, not some new promise, but the very promise he started the sermon with, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You see, the repentance that Peter was talking about, it wasn't an individual failure of his audience to you know, honor their sexuality or to not steal or to not lie or, you know, to, give in, to not give in to drunkenness, though they would certainly need to repent of those things too. Mm-hmm. It was a communal failure to recognize the new thing God was doing. The kingdom of God finally come in Jesus, the Messiah and Lord, and they had missed it so badly that they were still participating in the old system of who's in, who's out, law and institution and hierarchy, the very system that killed Jesus. And they collectively needed to repent, to say, we have been seeing things all wrong. Brothers, what shall we do in response? 
and to accept Jesus and his kingdom come, men, women, and slaves, and free, and young, and old, and Jews, and Gentiles, all participating in this new thing God was up to. And those who would repent and be baptized were now going to also be a part of God's mission and the Spirit's mission as he calls people to God through Jesus into the kingdom. And so that promise that Peter is saying, that promise of Joel is for all. And he says for all generations, for those all who will be called by the Lord. The Spirit's work didn't end in Acts 2 or in Acts 28. It's ongoing, even now, calling us to let go of the safety and the security we find in an allegiance to system and institution, to the old way of doing things, to join in on what God is up to, to see the new things he's doing, and to, stay up, to stand up and to say, I want my portion of the Spirit's work too. I was baptized in 2003 in Los Angeles, in Long Beach, California, to be specific. And I was 20 years old at that time. I just turned 40 this year. So I celebrated my 20th year in the faith this year. Uh, Kevin Nuama said to me the other day, he said, you're on the right side of 40, though. I said, okay, thanks, man. That helps. That helps. Um, you see, when I was baptized into Christ's death and resurrection, and when you were baptized into Christ's death and resurrection, we were baptized into participation into what God's up to in the world now. All things being made new by his spirit now. The new creation, a community of people who would put on display the living revelation, though in part, and just as a deposit, of what will someday may be made full in Christ's return. Yes. And to present that new kind of people, new community, a new type of creation mm -hmm. to the world. And one day, the Bible teaches that Jesus will gather up that group of people and present them as the bride mm -hmm. to God the Father. Mm -hmm. A complete making of all things new. We would be now practicing what we will someday live in for eternity. Yeah. This is Romans 5 through 8. It's a great passage to just study this week. And the good news will remain new. Like the participation that comes now, this kingdom of heaven as we practice it, it will push us out of our boundaries that we set. It will continue to call us out of exclusionary practices. It will call us out of saying, these are my people and I don't fellowship with those type of people. It will continue to demolish strongholds and walls of hostility. To bring all kinds of people of all ages and all cultures together in love as they love one another and serve as a signpost to the world of what God is up to. And it will continue to call us to be a new type of people. If you are young, and I'll let you figure out if you are young. The Spirit's mission is to give you a vision for what Jesus will do with your life. It means you'll need to be formed by him into something different. Someone different, someone new. To be young people who aren't filled with cynicism and disbelief as the world is filled with. Not bent on deconstructing all things without good reconstruction. The world loves a good deconstruction. 
doesn't have a plan for great reconstruction in the way of Jesus. And by the way, not everything needs to get deconstructed. Some things just need a little remodel. But it's going to take work either way. Sometimes being young, I think too often, and I myself have shared in this, comes with a cynicism of what has been. And actually, what, what the Spirit's trying to do is, is not to get you concerned with what has been or to what you're against. Too often, the church and, and Christians, we want to define our faith by what we're not for. But actually, the Spirit is, is calling you into a future filled with vision of what you're for. And if you're young, you're called into that vision of the Spirit to be those who are fostering and living lives in Christ in what he has in store. But that comes with honor and respect and value and esteem for the older disciples in your community. Of the community of fathers and mothers in the faith. Those who have gone before you and laid the foundation of the community that you belong to with their hard work and faith and perseverance and love. But these are the kind of people, these young people that God's Spirit is pouring out on, the kind of people who step up and say, hey, older disciples, let me take some of that work for you now so that you can fulfill your role to dream a little bit. And we're going to talk about that in a second. To dream a little bit about what will be, to teach and to train me how to be a good father or mother or husband or wife or son or daughter or disciple or employee or employer or leader or follower or whatever. I want to learn what you've learned. The older men and the women in the church are here to teach you, younger disciples, how to live a faithful life of allegiance to Jesus. And if you lean into that, Like if you lean into that knowledge and experience and apprentice under them, you will have the opportunity to learn the same lessons they learned, but without all the trouble. You won't have to keep, you won't have to go back to class. It's kind of like, you know, you get to, you get to cheat on the test a little bit, right? Not that you won't still go through it. But you got a, a, a master, a, you know, guide to help you through the trouble that you're learning and following Jesus, right? Think about it like learning to do something without the invention of the Internet. Like some of us don't even remember what it was like before the Internet, right? We we're just born into a world where information is just, you know, it, it just exists in your pocket. And you can just pull it out and find an answer to anything at any time. My kids were born into that kind of world. They just asked me, like, Dad, what's this? Like, you can look it up. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And we find it in seconds, right? But some of us were born in a world where, you know, pre-internet. And you had to go into a library if you wanted to find something out and open up a drawer with a bunch of letters and stacks of paper and find and then go look down some halls and see if that was the right, I'm in the wrong section and go over, do you know what I'm talking about? And then when we got the internet, it was like you put a CD in and it it was a slow page and you were like, this is amazing. Look how far we've come. Don't get off the phone. I'm on the internet, right? But think, younger Christians, that these, this older community of disciples, they're like a spiritual Google search for you. 
They are there to offer you their experience and their insight and their wisdom of both their successes and their failures and their perseverance and the character that they've earned along the way in following Jesus. Don't go it alone. You have a vision for your life as a parent, young parents. How do I live as a, you know, a parenting young people and still thrive and survive in my marriage and, and be a faithful Christian? There are Christians in this ministry who parented well, yes. whose children, for whatever their decisions in faith, their children love and esteem their parents. You can learn from them if you see them for who they are and the value that they have in this community. Seeking their advice, learning to apprentice them. You have a vision for your career that one day it doesn't just become an idol like everybody else, right? And you're kind of just serving the God of careerism. You don't want that for your career. You want a vocation that calls the best of you into whatever your hands see to do. And you want to learn how to do that for the glory of God to build and to grow. There are people in this room Younger Christians, there are people in this room who have fulfilled their career and their vocational lives and are still doing it even after retirement who can walk you through and teach you if you will learn and be humble and apprentice and seek their kind of character. You have a vision for your romantic life. Maybe, right? I don't know. Do you? I hope you do. Uh, if you want a romantic life, uh, but you want to have the kind of dating and engagement and marriage that glorifies God, that builds a new type of family lineage. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go it alone. Yeah. There are people in this room who have dated and were engaged and have been married as Christians, those whose wives are deeply secure in their love, that they are loved, who, who just who shine. And you can learn from those husbands how to lay down your life like Christ does for the church. And there are those men in this room who just, you see them, they carry a deep sense of I'm respected. Because their wives have learned how to honor and respect and build them up. And the two of them, as they work in their roles, put on display Christ's relationship with the church. They're in this room. You don't have to figure out on your own through podcasts and YouTube tutorials how to have the kind of foundation in your dating relationship that builds that. You can learn it. You can have a different kind of relationship. You can have a marriage that lasts, which I hope is what you want, right? And if you lay the foundation of trust and security in God's plan for it now while you're single and dating or wanting to date, you will have twice as less work to get through once you're married. Because everybody in marriage has to work. Like, it's hard work. But if you lay a foundation that's filled with trust and security in God and God's plan for you, and you learn how to do that now, you'll have less work to do later on. Because the insecurities and the questioning and the, the issues of trust are going to come up regardless. Lay a good foundation now, but you have to learn how to do that. Who do you learn how to do that from? The people in this room. Amen. The young among us, we've got to take a posture of humility. 
to learn from, to sit at the feet of, to apprentice under some of the older Christians in our lives. We don't want to be DIY disciples. You don't want a DIY marriage. You don't want a DIY parenting approach. You want to learn from those who've gone before you. And we're called to be filled with vision that comes from the Holy Spirit, to embrace that promise of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Notice how I'm saying our, because I'm on the right side of 40. To have vision from the Holy Spirit about about the future of the church. The church needs you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to receive, to live into that station of life of I'm young and I'm filled with the Spirit of God and vision for what He has for me. We need you to help us find out what God's up to. Without you living into that, as a young disciple, the church will not flourish. We need you to help us push beyond our boundaries a little bit. Now I can be the hour on the older side too, right? To get us out of a little bit of our fruitless traditions that we tend to hold on to. To push us to love new kinds of people, to show us what devotion to the Lord looks like. 1 Corinthians 7 says it's only single disciples who can teach the church how to do that. If you're old, and I'll let you decide if you're old. There's also a mission for you from the Spirit here, right? The Spirit's mission is to give you dreams for what God is up to in the new creation. To be old people who aren't, you know, crotchety and cynical or critical, right? Because things, you know, in this generation are just still changing and they don't know what's going on and the songs and the aesthetics and the styles of preaching, et cetera, right? Like, I can guarantee if we changed colors in the walls here, uh, you know, next Sunday you came and the colors were a different wall, I would not get one email from anybody under 40. But I'd probably get a few from some other people, right? Don't go there, if we change the logo or a different style of liturgy, uh, I think, you know, it might ruffle some feathers. All the disciples of Jesus, though, are meant to dream. To be filled with faith and vigor, not protecting the boundaries of tradition, but excited for all the things that are new. That they see God using the vision of the younger disciples and they go, man, my dreams are starting to be fulfilled. They see these younger Christians applying what you once applied in your faith and creativity and a little bit of ignorance and just trying. What's the difference between a vision and a dream? A vision happens when you're awake. A dream when you're asleep. Older disciples should be people who have been formed into the kind of people who come to be more and more at rest with God. Who can from that rest with God dream of what God might do. Not stagnant, not lazy. That's not what we're talking about, right? But also not anxious or busybodies either, but at rest. People who over decades of following Jesus have been formed into a non-anxious presence that they can give away. People who have learned to rest and dream with their God. Those who dream about God's mission of making all things new through this next generation and to take seriously the biblical mandate to teach and to train younger disciples how to do that. The older members in the church are meant to make us younger members. Again, I'm putting myself in that state. <laughs> They're meant to make us sit up a little straighter when they talk. 
to command a little bit more respect. Not just because of their station, but because of the character of people they are. That they're more joyful the closer they get to meeting the Lord. They're more at peace. They're more faithful. They're more committed than ever before. They're meant to help us listen a little bit better, to take notes on the kind of character it takes to raise a family or build a career or serve a community of Christians and neighbors in such a way that advances the kingdom. I'm so proud of the older Christians in this room who've stepped up to lead small groups this season. Some of them, for the first time ever, leading a small group. They're like, okay, well, I guess I'll try. And they're going to go for it this next nine months. They're dreaming. I'm proud of the older disciples who take younger disciples and teach and train them how to live more godly lives. That's dreaming. You can't expect younger disciples to just get it by virtue of just being in the, you know, around. It's going to take you initiating them to have them into your home, to sit at your dinner table, to call them into service across the church and to walk with them. There is no program. There is no point person. There is no sign-up sheet for young disciples to get trained. It's older disciples living into the God-given role they've been mandated with to teach and train the younger generation. No matter where you find yourself on the timeline of history, we all can suffer from what's called chronological snobbery. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because if we're, because if we're young, we think, well, uh, we'll know better and do better than those who've gone before us. That's for sure, right? Uh, but, but we won't if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit and humbly learning from those who've gone before us uh, in the faith. Uh, if we don't do that, it's kind of the blind leading the blind, Jesus says, right? You'll get somewhere, but it'll be in a pit, and you don't want to end up there. Um, but, but when we're older, we can also have a bit of a chronological snobbery, too, where we kind of get critical of the younger generation. In my day, right. do you know what I'm talking You ever started a sentence that way? Yeah. All right. It's amazing to me, though, actually now how even the millennials are starting to do that with Gen Z. Yeah. Like, the millennials are all of a sudden all critical of Gen Z. When it's like, five years ago, you were them, you know? But now they're like, yeah, these Gen Z. It's like, you know, nothing new under the sun, right? Wherever you are, you are being called to be made new in the attitude of your mind and the behavior of your life. Because you are following the king of new creation. And to be filled with his spirit's mission for your life. To have vision to have a dream, to live in harmony with those who are different than you by living into your role in the church. We serve a God who's on a mission, whose spirit is gathering all types of people. Just look around the room for a moment. All types of people to point the world back to Jesus. Listen to the the, uh, language of Acts 2 as we get ready to close out here. Oops, if I can get that last slide before the, the, there we go. Verse 4, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5, people from every nation under heaven were present. In verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on who? 
all people. Verse 21, and everyone who calls on the Lord, everyone who calls on the Lord, on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? A collective response, not an individual. Not me or they, but we, because we have a responsibility and a role. Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Every one of you and you, every one of you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 44, all. The believers were together and had everything in common. Not siloed, not two different church services, a traditional service and a contemporary service. No, no, no. All. We live in an integrated, beautiful community here in the Pioneer Valley. I love being, I come to church on Sunday. I'm a little tired from even just my weekend, but I come to church. I'm like, I just love being here. I get filled up by the people in this room. But that doesn't come without tension. And that tension isn't bad, but its purpose is to push or to pull us to learn from, grow with, and be formed by one another into a person and into a people more like Jesus, who live in to the Spirit's mission for all. 